We have made it to the postseason. Welcome in to a special episode of Dig City, a Purdue volleyball podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Gilman, joined as always by my partner in crime, head coach Dave Shondell. Coach, live from Omaha, how you doing? I'm doing great. This is uh, Tuesday and it's uh, our day off. We cannot practice today. No teams will practice today. Um, and so uh, we'll watch a little bit of tape. We'll probably eat really well. Um, I've already got one exercise uh, program done for the day and I'll try to get a nice good walk in a little bit later. Our players are still, you know, taking classes via uh, the internet and uh, studying for exams. So they'll be very, very busy, but it's a good day. The weather's nice here, a little cool, but very, very nice. And man, Omaha has done a great job of accepting these 48 NC2A teams to their town. And we, we have no complaints about what's going on here at this, at this juncture. That's great to hear. Um, for those that may not know, Purdue was picked to make the NCAA tournament. Let's start with that. A seven seed and the top 16 this season, instead of hosting the first two rounds, they get a bye in the first round. So the Boilermakers will play Thursday at 3.30 p.m. against the winner of UCF and High Point. Seven seed will then match up with the 10 seed in Oregon. And on that side of the subregion, it is Army against Notre Dame for the rights to play the 10th seeded Ducks. Coach, let's start off with some fantastic news. Early in the week, we had the Big Ten Awards, I believe it was last Thursday in, in early April. And for a program record, four first-teamers. Of course, it was the uh, first time since 2011 that the Boilermakers won 14 conference games. And so alongside Grace Cleveland, Caitlin Newton, Jenna Otek, Libero, or Defensive Player of the Year, and Haley Bush all get first-team all-conference. We'll start with that. What was your uh, reaction to the news? Well, very excited that our players had – um, received that type of recognition for the development that they've made and the kind of seasons that they had. And you know, it's always a reflection of your program. And, you know, when you're kind of guiding the ship to some extent, it's always nice that your program is doing well. Um, I, I'm excited for them. Um, as you know, Daniel, for me, it's not about what you've done, it's what you're going to do. And so we'll have a time later on, we'll be able to really appreciate that. Uh, it's just not right now, uh, as the worst thing you can do is start uh, um, being eaten alive by your accolades. Uh, it, this is the time to, to earn some more. And so I think, you know, teams that, that go deep into the NCAA tournament, those all-region awards turn into All-America uh, awards. So hopefully that, you know, we'll, we'll seize this moment and, and play at the level that we've been playing at most of the season. I will share this, that I thought this past week in practice, was the best week of practice that I can remember having in a long, long time. I think this team is getting better. We have a great combination of uh, senior and veteran leadership and uh, blindful enthusiasm uh, from some of our youngsters. And uh, they mean business. We have, a tough, we have a tough challenge. As you know, we don't know who we're going to play. Uh, it's either going to be High Point, a team that is 16 and zero and won their respective conference without a blemish or uh, University of Central Florida, who has been a really solid team. Both have been very solid uh, over the past several years, but Central Florida has a, a player that uh, many consider to be a first-team All-America athlete and some other really good players. So the hard thing is figuring out how do you, how do you prepare for teams that you don't know who, who's going to win. 
So you got to look at both of them and try to prepare and, and present information to your team. And then you wait less than 24 hours before you play to find out who wins on Wednesday. But we also have a bye to go into the second round. And when I look at Daniel, some of the second round opponents that we've had in the past 17 years, we've had some dandies. I mean, we've, we have not uh, been had, had the luxury of playing chopped liver um, in the second round. And, and that will be the case again this year is either High Point or Central Florida are better than a lot of people anticipate. They're not power five conference teams and automatically some people feel like, you know, that's a slap in their face. But uh, Tad, Todd Dagenetne has done a tremendous job at Central Florida. I think a couple of years ago they beat Florida State at, I think at Florida State and uh, in the NCAA tournament, uh, they've, had, they've had really good teams. And according to some of the coaches I've talked to who played them uh, this year, they feel like this is the best uh, Central Florida team ever. A pair of teams that are not unfamiliar, Coach Ryan Meek, winners of the Big South in High Point. We are familiar with them, first-round opponents back in 2017. And you mentioned UCF. They went to the second round, I think it was in Gainesville, a few years ago. And then back in 2018, they hosted the first round of the NCAA tournament. So Melville over uh, McKenna Melville for UCF, an All-American already. We'll talk a little bit about a potential matchup in the second round, but you mentioned, you know, you can't let the players get to it, but fans can definitely revel in the thought that the Boilermakers are getting respect around not just the conference, but the country, as it was announced earlier today on Tuesday, April 13th, that Purdue would have a program record five all region awards. Four of them will move on and be nominated to be an All-American, and that's Haley Bush, Grace Cleveland, Caitlin Newton, and Jenna Otek, and Taylor Trammell, the first freshman to be honored All-Region. She got the honorable mention since Stephanie Lynch Harpenau, someone that we know quite well, went on to a pretty successful career. Let's talk a little bit about the middles, Coach, because I think it's going to be a bit of a focal point coming into the Thursday match. Didn't necessarily you know, get an, an idea from either UCF or High Point if defending middles was a strength. So watching video of these two teams, do you feel like, you know, the middle, it's always, you know, it's always going to be big when it comes to Taylor Trammell and JL Johnson. But when you look forward towards Thursday, where do you see those X factors really factoring in? Well, I think both of the potential opponents defend very well in the middle. Maybe one of their strengths. Um, High Point, um, their middles are both good offensively and defensively. Uh, they're kind of their go-to players. Uh, certainly a high point has a middle that could be playing at the very elite level in the Big Ten. Really, really good player. And then for um, Central Florida, I think that they may not get as many sets in the middle, um, but defensively, that's their bread and butter. That's what their responsibility is at Central Florida. So I think they defend really well. They're athletic in, in the middle on both these teams. And so our middles, who have had great seasons, uh, J.L. Johnson, who's had just a remarkable year, uh, both offensively, in particular offensively and defensively, and Taylor Trammell, who, if she wasn't a freshman, her numbers probably would have uh, projected her much higher in some of these uh, um, award classifications. Uh, but I, I think our middles will score. They've scored all season. They, they just get up so quick, and they run so many different routes that, that they're very hard to defend. What also makes it a little bit more productive for our middles is the fact that we have Caitlin Newton and, and Grace Cleveland on the pins, as well as whether it be Maddie Chan, Maddie Cook, or Emma Ellis, 
and we also have a backcourt presence. You, you know, normally always have somebody bombing balls out of the back row. So um, that will open up our middles to have opportunities, regardless of how uh, strong the middle blockers are on the other side of the net. Trammell, sixth in the conference in hitting percentage, second in blocks per set. JL Johnson, eighth in hitting percentage, ninth in blocks per set, both snubbed out of uh, the all Big Ten awards. Coach, this is going to be released before the first round. So I'm not going to ask you about the second left side. Not We're not going to you know open up anything for not anyone. Not going there yet. We are not going to go it's there. Too early. Too early to go there. But I do want to ask you what each of these I do have several coins. I do have several quarters on the table that I'll be flipping uh, as we go through the next couple of days to figure <laughs> out who will, who will fill that spot. So we've got the three sophomores. If uh, it's your first time maybe listening or your first time really tuning in for Purdue Volleyball here at the end of the season, Emma Ellis, a sophomore from Charlotte, Maddie Chin, a sophomore from the, uh, the Oakland Township near Detroit area in Michigan, you know, up close to Notre Dame. And then the third one in Maddie Cook, sophomore from the Green Bay area. What does each one of them really bring from an attitude and then an, an X, X's and O's factor on the court here in practice? It's one of the most remarkable stories I can share since I've been at Purdue to have three players of this level you know, all three are about 6'2". Maddie Chin might be a little taller, 6'2 and a half. Um, all, you know, touching well over 10 feet that hit the ball a ton. Great teammates. Um, you know, th this would be a, a real challenge for a player that is all about themselves. A very selfish individual uh, would not be able to fit um, into the situation, knowing that as a sophomore, they're going to have to wait, you know, another year before maybe the doors open up and they're going to be able to play a lot more. Uh, but they bought in. Uh, they love their teammates. They, they love being at Purdue. And, they, and I've tried to be really fair and give all three opportunities to go out and compete and play well. And they've all performed it just beautifully. I mean, in, in one streak, we had Maddie Chin put on a show against Ohio State in, uh, in, in their beautiful venue on a Friday. MLS came out and maybe even topped that on Saturday. And then the next Friday, we play Illinois. And Maddie Cook plays her best match of the season. So, um, you know, I, I feel it's not like a year ago where I was trying to pick out who would be, who would play well of the three. Now it's just going to be who's going to play the best of the three in this particular matchup because they are different. Um, and depending on who the opponent is, one of those players may match up better against who we will play. It's a team of experience, Coach, right? Everyone but Taylor Trammell has been to the NCAA tournament and reached the third round. What do you think that experience of, of playing Baylor, it was you know, a forgettable match from a fan's perspective, but what can players on this team and what can you as a coach kind of you know, take from the four-setter last year at Baylor and use towards this tournament? Well, very, very few things are tougher than going to the number one seed in the tournament and playing them at 11 o'clock in the morning um, in front of their crowd. And um, it wasn't that forgettable for me. It, we, we, we did not play our best match, but we had some really good performances. Caitlin Newton was, was tremendous in that match. Jenna Otek, Otek was really, really good in that match. Haley Bush was, uh, had a fantastic uh, performance in that match. J.L. Johnson came off the bench and played the last uh, two and a half sets in that match. So. A lot of them got experience against a really good opponent that had a lot of weapons. Uh, but we see that regularly in our league. So I think the experience that our players have from playing in the Big Ten, we got 20 matches in this year. 
And if, if you check, our schedule in the Big Ten was pretty tough. Uh, we were not able to avoid anybody on our, that was on our schedule that uh, was a top 13 seed in the tournament. Uh, Nebraska was not on our schedule initially, and we did not play the Huskers. But we played a lot of good teams, including Michigan and Illinois and Northwestern, who I thought had, you know, really, really good offensive teams and uh, very well coached as well. So I think we're set up for this event, and it's just a matter of making sure our players can go out, relax, have fun, seize the moment, like I mentioned earlier, and, uh, and lean on the players who have been here a little bit before. I, I don't think Taylor Trammell is going to have a problem. She hasn't had a pro problem all year. I think she's going to be in great shape when she goes out there to play. She's just as loose as can be. Yeah, I mean, you, you want to rewind to January 22nd, first match of the season, shorthanded without Grace Cleveland, and the person who stood up and, and really showed, you know, her stuff, four kills in that first match. I think she had, uh, an, let me check right now, an efficient second match as well, where those, those Wisconsin matches are something that I'm sure Taylor Trammell can look back 5-1-9 in that second match for Trammell. And then she really started the block parade once Iowa came to town and, and the Minnesota series started. Let's move over to just the atmosphere, right? A lot of questions around what the, the volley bubble is like. Talking to me from ground zero, coach, what is the experience? How often are you guys being tested? What's the practice schedule and everything like that? Yeah, I think it's a lot different than some people may anticipate. Uh, there's nobody monitoring what we're doing. I mean, we've been given, um, you know, restrictions as to how we're supposed to behave while we're here, but it's pretty much up, up to us to follow through with that, just like it has been all season long. It's different than what, you know, you may have heard from men's basketball or women's basketball. Uh, it's just not a bubble. It is a controlled environment is the term. And I like that. I mean, we've, we've already gone through this. Everybody wants to keep their players healthy and, and make sure that they're, uh, you know, going to have negative tests. We, we got here yesterday. We, we were tested. It took about 30 minutes uh, to get through and test and get our results back. And we were out of there. We're staying at a beautiful hotel. Um, they do have a great a big team room for us where it's got opportunity for the kids can do activities. They can play games. We've got great video set up in there. That's where we show our tape. Um, when we eat, uh, we always get carry out and the players get their food and they eat in their own respective rooms. Every single player has their own room. They're not sharing a room with anybody. They have their own uh, uh, hotel room. Uh, the, the venues uh, will have practice courts and then four competition courts in this convention center. And the only issue is you don't get much time on your, your actual court you will play on because there's going to be matches in there tomorrow going on. And we're going to have to go in early to get on that court. I think we practice at 7.30 for about 30 minutes to be on our actual match court. And then we'll have an hour later on a, on a side court to practice. But uh, that's all good. I mean, we've played volleyball before. You know, it's not going to matter. The court's going to be just like in Hoosiers. You know, that's going to be seven, four and a quarter. And it's going to be 60 feet long and 30 feet, feet wide. And uh, so we'll just go play. But, uh, you know, we talked earlier, you know, earlier in the week, there were some issues. Uh, the NCAA hadn't gotten together with ESPN and a couple of things. I think it slipped, it slipped, slipped through the cracks, which is not unusual in a year like this. I have to give credit to the NCAA. Uh, the woman who is running our um, volleyball NCAA tournament is also running a couple other tournaments, and all of them are being played at this time of the year. And she's doing a phenomenal job. 
and uh, she's got got some good help. The committee did a great job, I thought, of, of deciphering what 48 teams were going to be the best 48. I haven't heard an uproar over that. That's the first time in a long time that's happened. So I, I think that um, you know they're making adjustments as they go, which would be expected during a, a pandemic. But I think our players uh, and all the 48 teams that are here are going to have an opportunity to advance and are very fair and in good condition. So we're, you know, I, I think it's it's really positive, and we're I think every player here is looking forward to getting started. And and coach, I I am curious of this question in just in terms of the communication and and the backup plans and all of that. Was there a meeting with all the coaches on what would happen? Should there be a positive test? Is that something or is that, you know, one of those things where a group of people know and if it happens, they'll deal with it? Yeah, there's we had two Zoom calls with all of uh, uh, the, the coaches and the NCAA and the NCAA selection committee where all of those things, you know, were, were discussed. And basically it kind of depends on, you know, who is it that gets sick and what kind of um caution have precautions have you been taking is everybody wearing masks and 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 all that kind of thing so um you know we've we've gone the entire year we started back when uh, in january mid-january when this season started and we have not had one positive uh test on our volleyball team and you know i'm knocking on i can't find any wood right now but we're not i got you coach all right to, to to hope that it doesn't hit us now but uh stephanie medina our trainer you know her She's uh, as vigilant as it comes. Yep. Sergeant Medina. She's awesome. And uh, she has really ran, ran a tight ship and uh, our people have stayed healthy because of that. And, you know, we're looking forward to continuing that for the next two weeks. So we mentioned McKenna Melville, the All-American on UCF. There's also a familiar face in the Rutgers transfer, Tali Marmon. She's on the left side. I want to know who you think fans, you know, that are watching on Wednesday that want to do their own little Purdue scouting. Who are some of the players that have really stood out to you on both UCF and High Point? And you might have to give me just numbers or positions. No, here. no, I, no, I, I mean, okay. they have, first, let's start with High Point. Um, High Point's middles uh, are really, really good. They're exceptional. And uh, both teams run a 6-2 offense. At least that's what they have been doing. Doesn't mean they won't change that going into a tournament. It would be kind of unusual if they did uh, after the success they've had after winning 30, 32 out of 33 matches combined, uh, both High Point and Central Florida. But um, I, th I think their middles are really good. I think they've got, uh, you know, good offense on the pins at High Point. Uh, but I think their middles is where they, they really go when, when they can because they've got big-time players in the middle. Uh, Central Florida, on the other hand, uh, they have a one, one woman wrecking crew on the left side in Melville. She's legitimate. There's just no doubt about it. She can absolutely take over a match and she's a complete player. I love the story about, you know, the fact that she was, uh, about five, seven as a senior in high school and then blew up to about six, one and a half now and, uh, dominating college volleyball. So that's a, that's a great story. And because of that, it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, 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 the men bas men's basketball player that's a point guard, all of a sudden he grows, you know, and now he can be, uh, has the opportunity to handle the ball and also penetrate and score and shoot and do all the things. So um, she's, she's a well-rounded player. Uh, they have another uh, great athlete on the right side, kid named Watson. That's a blocking machine. You know, she would compare to Grace Cleveland. She's great offensively and she's a great blocker. How many right side players um, are in the top five in the league? Uh, in blocking. Well, Watson and Cleveland probably are two of the very few 
in America. So uh, they're a little bit like us. I mean, I could compare, you know, Melville to Caitlin Watson. I mean, Caitlin Newton, they, those two are um, physical, aggressive, confident, six rotation players where they get set all the time. So, you know, you know, you're kind of looking at yourself a little bit when you look at Central Florida from that standpoint, except they're running a 6-2 and we're running a 5-1. Fantastic. So just for, uh, for name purposes, it'll be Kaylee Ramblesburg in the middle alongside Gabrielle Eidelberg, 11 and 13 for High Point. Ramblesburg, a sophomore, was just named All-Region Honorable Mention. And their senior libero, Adam that was, That's a joke. That's a joke that she was honorable mention. That just is, is a fact that um, she's playing at High Point and she wasn't playing at, you know, some Power Five conference because that girl, she would be all Big Ten uh, from what I've seen on tape. And I've watched about seven matches and she's an absolute brute. So we'll keep an eye on that one. It should be a great one. The libero for High Point, Adam Bonhamley, was named Player of the Year in the Big South. And she was also named All-Region just earlier today, along with Melville for UCF. They've also had a couple all-conference nominees in Narissa Morovic in the middle and on the right side, Anne-Marie Watson. Coach Dajanay against Coach Meek on that Wednesday. We'll keep Let me tell you, that. those are two really good coaches. Um, I, I've known Todd Dajanay for a long, long time. He was an assistant uh, for Mick Haley, a good friend of mine at USC. That's kind of where he started. He was also at Michigan State for a long time. Uh, as an assistant for Chuck Irby. He's, he's a really good fundamental volleyball coach and, and, and gets the most out of his team. And the cat at, uh, at High Point, he is a very confident coach. And he'll have th those guys believing they're going to play and, and win. Uh, I, I think that match uh, tomorrow, at, I think it's at 3.30, yep. is going to be a real Jim Dandy. Uh, I, I think the seed favors uh, Central Florida. I think they're the 25 seed. And I've got... Uh, uh, high point must be around 39, 38, somewhere in that range. So it's a pretty even matchup, but I, I think it's going to, it's going to be a, a much closer match than some people anticipate. And that's why it's been difficult for us to get ready for an opponent, not knowing who's going to win the match. Yeah. For those of you that are interested, noon will be the beginning of the first round on Wednesday, the 14th couple matches that I uh, I am interested in, you know, in that noon one, Missouri, South Dakota should be a fun one, along with San Diego and Texas A&M Corpus Christi. The other two at noon, Army Notre Dame, which is on the other side of our sub-regional and UMBC Pepperdine. So a pair of West Coast teams playing at 9 a.m. Pacific time could be fun to keep an eye on. Coach, I got one last question for you. You mentioned that the players are all in their own rooms. Is there some sort of activity to keep them engaged are they all facetiming with each other are there games they're playing or is it really just studying because you know exams are coming around the corner well some of them have a lot more studying to do than others they're, they're all at different points in their their careers and 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 degrees and so forth but each night we've asked uh one of the classes so freshman sophomore junior senior to operate a game night so um you know tonight I, I'm not sure who's on the docket to lead, but you know they're going to uh, orchestrate some kind of an activity in our team room, you know, after dinner, and uh, it'll be fun to see, you know, how that goes. And uh, I'm sure the coaches and support staff that are here will be involved in that as well. So we we have to do something besides be held up in our rooms the entire time. And that's when I talked to some of the people from our men's basketball staff. That's what they shared, even though you know obviously they weren't there as long as they wanted to be. Uh, but they got there early and they said just being confined to your rooms was a real 
a tough situation and that you have to do some other things. We're allowed to go outside and walk. There's no restrictions that prevent us from going out and walking around downtown or, or whatever else. They uh, NCA has a, a place set up where there are uh, activities um, to go play outdoors as well, as long as you reserve your, your space and your time. Uh, they gave us information about the zoo. You could go, you know, dip, different things that are here in Omaha. So it's not nearly as, as tight as it was for basketball. And I think it's important that they see the, the light of day and, and get out of their rooms. I think that's really, really crucial. Fantastic. So we are going to be tuned in Thursday at 3.30, 3.20 p.m. Eastern time for the pre-match show on the coverage on PurdueSports.com or on the Patriot at 104.3 FM. Maybe you want to throw on the ESPN three feed and mute it and uh, pull up the, uh, the radio broadcast. And then if Purdue were to advance, Sunday would be the Sweet 16, Monday the Elite Eight, and then we'll move on and, uh, and see what happens after that. But Coach, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Daniel, let me just interject what a great job you've done with the 48 interviews of the media folks from each respective school that's involved in this NCAA tournament. And uh, people are starting to take note. Uh, nobody ever has tried to do what you have done here. And uh, it's great for volleyball. And, I, and I'm being dead serious, which I'm not often, uh, that, that you've just done something that's never been done before. And it's going to open the door for, I think, you know, volleyball uh, media types like yourself uh, to do the work and get it done. And it's like the other day when I suggested that when they weren't going to have the first and second rounds, I said, there's all kinds of people that would be willing to do this work. Yeah. They don't have to be the big shots and, and that, you know, people would do it for free. And I, I'm, what I'm saying is if, if, if money was a problem, there's a lot of people that would do it for free, including yourself, would love the opportunity to get that kind of exposure. And I took a lot of heat from some of the you know, announcers across the country that, oh, we shouldn't ever have to do our work uh, without, that wasn't my point. My point was, right. if you're not gonna do it, and that's not gonna be the means to make this happen, let's get some of these guys that have been doing college volleyball locally um, and let them from their living room or from where you're at right now in Indianapolis, call a game so our fans can learn something about what's going on. And that's the point. And here you've gone on out and done exactly what I'm talking about. Nobody, nobody told you, assigned you to do this. Okay. You're trying to, you're an up and comer that's trying to get, you know, a little bit of notoriety and, and do something to put on your resume and you've hit it out of the park, absolutely hit it out of the park. And people are going to notice that I'm proud of you. It's awesome. You deserve an award for that. And uh, I hope you get it. So um, congratulations. Coach, thank you. And, and all the volleyball fans out there, I really appreciate all the feedback. I, I just wanted everyone to be prepared so that no matter what it is, just like the NCAA basketball tournament, we can be fully engaged in every single match. And kudos to ESPN for the first time ever. They will be broadcasting every single match, even before all of the flack came. They were going to broadcast every match. It was just going right. to be without any broadcasters. So they have added broadcasters. I think there's going to be play-by-play -play and a couple color analysts for the first round. I know Paul Sunderland got added along with a couple other notable names like uh, Sam Gore and Courtney Lyle, Carl Ravitch's son, Sam Ravitch, was added to the crew. So I'm excited. We've got, we've got Matt Schick, who's going to be doing our broad, broadcast. And uh, I've talked with him on Big Ten Radio uh, before. So uh, glad to have him on there. But people just need to understand the evolution of, of volleyball in this country. It is now the fastest growing men's sport. It's been the fastest growing women's sport. And I think fi finally... Finally, people are starting to pay attention to it. 
And that's why what you're doing makes such a big difference is there wasn't anybody that, that was not wanting to talk to you. I mean, those people jumped at the opportunity to talk volleyball about their respective schools. And, but somebody had to light the fire and, and you're that guy. So congratulations. Coach, thank you. We will hopefully uh, be talking again with matches to play next week. Regardless, we will have a uh, final season wrap up, but good luck. And, uh, and we'll be talking soon. Thank you. That is Dig City, another episode of this Purdue Volleyball Podcast, Thursday, April 15th, 3.30. I know all your eyes and your ears will be locked in. We cannot wait for this NCAA tournament. We've been waiting a long time, and it's finally come. I'm Daniel Gilman. He's Dave Shondell.